Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Is that okay? Are you to, you want to, okay, now I will. <laughs> Welcome to Tuesday night Torah study. I'll open in prayer. Well, Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for this really nice weather that we've been having. Uh, thank you for the excitement of Sukkot that's coming. Thank you for your Torah. And thank you for this group of people that uh, took time out of their schedule to come tonight and study it. Uh, and I'd ask that you just uh, be in our conversation. Bless us as we finish up the book of uh, Numbers and get ready to start the really, really exciting book of Deuteronomy. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's see. Last week, you know, was strange because we didn't have Torah study. I felt strange. We had uh, Yom Teruah, which was cool, but I kind of missed it. And, you know, you realize that um, the vast majority of Torah studies are done using the annual cycle, and everybody knows what portion is being done when on the calendar. We're not doing that. The reason we're not doing that is because we took a democratic vote way back in the beginning and decided we're going to go at whatever pace we need to go at so that we don't skip anything. And I personally kind of like that, but it throws us, we're on nobody's schedule anymore. We're just doing, doing what we want to do. It's working out pretty good. I like it. No, no, no. I should talk. That's why I'm, I'm bringing that subject up. Next Tuesday, a week from tonight, is Erev Sukkot. And so Sukkot officially starts that evening. So I'm doing Torah study up there. Okay? And then seven days later is in the middle of Sukkot. And I'm doing Torah study up there again. So we're going to do Torah uh, each Tuesday when it comes. Unless there's some holiday that you know, makes it difficult. So I'm, yes, turn on the microphone so that we can hear your question. My voice is loud enough. Yeah. No, no, no. Your voice is loud enough for me to hear, but not the people on television. You did? Okay. It's just a little flick. It goes only one way or the other. It's not hard. Do you have fingernails? Well, there you go. Okay. Just my question. Okay, I bet you forgot now, by is, now, right? No. No, I, okay. I remember. <laughs> For Yom Kippur. Yeah. Is it not a Shabbat then, too? Yeah, I might, yeah. Fine. I just wanted to make but, sure the 28th to the 29th is a Shabbat as well, right? Yeah. Um, now, that's Thursday. Thursday evening is when you start the Yom Kippur fast. Okay? And there, right. I think there will be a service here on Thursday evening. And so, no? It's Friday evening. Yeah, it's Friday evening. But Thursday evening is when you start the fast. And then you fast all day Friday. And Friday evening, we come back here. And that's when we, that's when we have, uh, everybody thinks this beef pepperoni pizza is great. Part of the reason it's so good is because you haven't eaten You're anything. You're starving, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I admit, it really tastes good when you haven't had anything to eat. Beg your pardon? I don't know. It's on the uh, website. I can't remember what time it is. I think it's six, but you, the website's the place to look. <laughs> I don't think we're going to do that. Anyway, so that's Yom Kippur on Friday. 
And I'm then here. Normal Shabbat. Uh-oh. You know, somebody sent me the calendar about the, the Shabbat celebration, the right Shabbat. Uh, is that is tomorrow. Well, yeah. Is, we celebrate on Saturday, but uh, people say because of the job in Israel, they put the Shabbat on Saturday. But uh, it's uh, the right calendar. Um, the Father gave it to Moses is by the moon, by the sun. But it's a calendar. Uh, somebody sent me by, by mail, uh, by, by WhatsApp. And well, I have it because they told me, you celebrated the right Shabbat. And I say, oh, my God, I don't know that. Well, Mark discussed this a great deal of time last week and what it basically boils down to is a disagreement about when you you reckon the new moon so you can reckon the new moon by when you see the first sliver yeah or no. you can reckon it by when you know it's new because it's not a, a visible that's yeah. the method we choose we chose that method because we think it's more scriptural but it puts us a day off and it really it doesn't matter if you want to use the other method go right ahead it's no big deal we have to choose one as a group, and that's the one we chose. Yeah. Um, that's the question I have, because they sent me the calendar. I want to know you know that. Uh, the calendar have a little change, but many people don't celebrate. But uh, I, I watch a group in the, in the WhatsApp, Internet. they celebrating the right, the right Shabbat. For me, it's, it's, it's not easy because I forget more than the time. But it, I can say it. Um, Mark is always careful to say he's well aware of the fact that whenever we uh, all get up there with him, we could find out that we were wrong. But we're okay with it because this is what we've chosen as a group. It, you know, as the group, you have to pick something. So we picked this. I don't mind it. It makes sense to me. I understand the argument, and I'm up for it. So, but I'm not going to denigrate people that don't. So... Sure, sure. Well, it's it's okay. It's it's not the kind of thing you want to break. You know, the moon on. now. I think it's in the fifth day. Is that a la, last Saturday? I, I don't know. Is I don't keep track of when people do it. I just know. keep track of our own. But uh, I don't know. I check you later. Okay. <laughs> Great. Let's see. The other thing I was going to say. Yeah. There you go. Four Happy New Year days. That's fine. Um. We're about to finish the book of Numbers. I don't think we'll finish tonight. We might, but I rather doubt it. And so we start Deuteronomy. And I wasn't kidding. Deuteronomy is really a neat book. It's like, I'll say all of this again, so I shouldn't say it now, but I will anyway. Who knows what Deuteronomy means? It's Greek. Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy is Greek. Beg your pardon? Yeah, that's Hebrew. Deuteronomy is Greek. Do you know what Deuteronomy means? What does nomi mean in Greek? Nomos. Law. Okay? Okay? And you know what deutero is? You ever heard of deuterium? Deutero is second. So it's second law. So what, what, uh, what Deuteronomy is, is pretty much a summary of the first five or four books of the Torah. It's also... Moses monologue. It's Moses the whole time. It's a, he's getting up there. You know, we've already seen where God says, you're not crossing the Jordan. I'm gonna, you're going to be gathered to your people. So Moses knows he's going to die. So he dies at the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy, at the end. So 
It's Moses' last words to the people of Israel before he dies. But it's really great. Yeah, he definitely does that. He definitely does that. But he, re, he uh, goes over, he reiterates a lot of the stuff that happened in the first, actually mainly the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers is what he pretty much recaps. But it's really, really useful. And it's, it's helpful because God's so good about things. You know, he doesn't tell us once and say, okay, there it is. You know, he tells us the important stuff at least two or three times. So if you've read it two or three times in there, you can pretty much know that you need to pay attention to it. So that's why I really like the book of Deuteronomy. The other thing I was going to say is, you know, I work on these books. I've been working on these books for a long time. So I've got Deuteronomy books. I've been printing them up. I print them up myself in my own little house, and it costs me about 10 bucks to print one of these. Now, if you want one and you don't have 10 bucks, okay. If you do, I'd like it. But don't take it if you're not going to use it. The way you use it, you know, is you read the passage and you read the questions and you answer the questions. The idea is you don't just come here and study the stuff. You've already looked at it, and then you're armed and loaded for questions. And you know when somebody asks something, what, what you're going to say. You know, you, you get a lot more out of it if you'll do that. So that's my sales pitch for the books. You're welcome. <laughs> Did you have something? No, no, that's one of the, I've made 20 of them so far. That's one of the 20. Okay. I, I only, I thought since it's going to be a couple of weeks before we start, I'll, uh, but I'll bring, I'm going to bring them all up there. Well, you know, Lisa, I don't know what we're going to do about that. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. So that was all bookkeeping stuff I wanted to take care of. Okay, let's talk about what we talked about last time. Last time we were in uh, Numbers 29, and we were going through all the feasts. And we, we, they had this listing of the feasts. It's not, it's not like the, the definitive listing of God's moed, God's feasts, is in the book of Leviticus. But this one goes through them all and talks about them. But what, do you remember what specific thing it talked about with respect to the feasts? It talked about all of them, and it specifically talked about the sacrifices. It talked about the animals and which ones you sacrifice when and how many you sacrifice for what purpose and all this kind of stuff. That's what it talked about. And the main one was uh, uh, Sukkot, where they just, you know, there's a, a table of all the different animals that get sacrificed during the holiday of Sukkot. And so, um, and I was, I learned something. That's one of the reasons I like doing this is I learn stuff. I didn't realize that, I really didn't realize that this was a reference to the nations. And that's a very, very important thing. Next time I talk about this, I'll talk about that. So, that's cool. No, no, I didn't really look it up, but... Well, I tell you, the thing that clicked to me was the 70. I double-checked the math, and the math adds up to 70, and 70 in the Bible is the number of nations. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, okay, Lisa, you're now on the cutoff list until you have a microphone. <laughs> and then... <laughs> now, now she's done. Thank you. On their, 
on the thing that you were talking about that about the you know the goat is that is that the way you put that is twenty six on there and the last where the total's at twenty six goats yes okay. so what that is that's all the sacrifices for a whole year is what that table is and it says at the end of a year you will have sacrificed twenty six goats but the big one if you ask me is one hundred and thirteen bulls and a thousand ninety three lambs. Lambs, do you remember what, uh, do you remember when lambs are sacrificed more, most often? Every day in the morning and in the afternoon, a lamb gets sacrificed. So that's uh, 700 of them right there. <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. You might as well. <laughs> I get it. It's pretty complicated, that switch. It, one way it's on and the other way it's off. Leave it on, if you can ever get it on. There you go. You know, this might be off the subject a little bit. Don't, no, no rabbit trails. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, but the, on Shabbos last, um, the rabbi was talking about... Um, it's, it's an interesting thing because he did a drasha just on what I thought of. And, and it was <laughs> what I thought about the Akeda. And because they said about Yeshua that there's a, a midrash where, what, where's the lamb? Because he said he was going to sacrifice a lamb. But then a ram showed up. And Ayo means a leader. It, it also means the word for leader. So where are you going with all so, this? Well, it was the leader caught in the network by the thorns. But the interesting thing is he did a thing that this woman wrote almost about that, that we get caught up in our network, that we get caught up in our network and we don't, um, you know, we don't put things in okay. perspective. I mean, just, but that was a little bit off. But the thing that I saw was that it's interesting that we blow the ram's horn on Sukkot because it's the ram's horn, and it was a ram that showed up. That's just how I, okay. it suddenly dawned on me. That's, that's good. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. But it was just that I, it came little, to my mind, and I was going to share it before, but I, you know, forgot. <laughs> That's fine. Okay, we're going to move on. So we're in uh, Numbers chapter 30. And the parasha that begins here is called Matot. No, number 29 is what we were just talking about. Tonight we're going to start <clears throat> in chapter 30. 29 was what we did last week. So I always like to go back and remind people what we did last week. So it kind of helps put things... Okay, whatever. Numbers chapter 30. <laughs> Numbers chapter 30. Let's see here. It's not very long. It's only 16 verses. Who would like to read Numbers chapter 30? Alfonso said he would. Testing. <laughs> And Moshe spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the word which Yahuwah has commanded. 
When a man vows a vow to Yahweh or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he does not break his word. He does according to all that comes <laughs> comes out of his mouth. Or if a woman vows a vow to Yahweh and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself and her father has kept silent towards her, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself stands. But if her father forbids her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself stand. And Yahuwah pardons her because her father has forbidden her. But if she at all belongs to a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it, and he has kept silent towards her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand, and her agreements by which she bound herself do stand. But if her husband forbids her on the day that he hears it, then he has nullified her vow which she vowed, and the rash utterance of her lips by which she bound herself and Yahuwah pardons her. But any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself stands against her. And if she vowed in her husband's house or bound by herself by an agreement with an oath, and her husband heard it, and has kept silent towards her and did not forbid her, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement by which she bound herself stands. But if her husband clearly nullified them on the day he heard them, then whatever came from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it does not stand. Her husband has nullified them, and Yahuwah pardons her. Every vow and every binding earth oath to afflict her being, let her husband confirm it, or let her husband nullify it. But if her husband is altogether silent at her from day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he kept silent toward her on the day that he heard. But if he nullifies them after he has heard, then he shall bear her wickedness. These are the law which Yahuwah commanded Moshe between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter in her youth in her father's house. Okay. <laughs> Glad you guys like that. Now, the, the uh, more definitive passage on vows, oaths and vows, is Leviticus chapter 27. Well, we did that when we were in Leviticus. I'm sure you all remember exactly what we talked about, right? So this is a kind of a special case of vows and oaths. What, uh, what specifically, what kind of vows and oaths are, are we talking about here? Who makes them? Who are who? Who, who is the person that's making the vow in this case? It's a woman. A woman or a young girl, right? And it's basically about her, uh, her vow being, let me say, yeah, legitimate or whether it's annulled. So what's, what's kind of the, the rule? What's a, what's a summary of, the, of all the stuff that's, that's being said here? Yes. Well, um, you got to get a microphone. And the microphone lady is not, she's sitting... Just leave it on, and that way you don't have to mess with it. It seems to be hard. You just flick it. Hello, hello, there. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, because, well, I like that in a way that the father or the husband is responsible, that he, if he says nothing then he has to bear the punishment of yeah. the sin because 
He said nothing, and he. Well, there's there's two sides of it. If right. he hears about it and says nothing, then it stands, and if it's right. broken, it's on him. Right, that's what I mean. But if he hears about it, then he has the right. Yeah, he has to the nullify. right to nullify. So it. it's a fair thing. Yeah, it is a fair thing. And I it, think. it basically, you know, you could say it puts the the woman in an inferior position, but it establishes who is allowed to make vows in a family, right? Well, it also kind of protects her. It does. If you know, if he comes and says she has to break it, then the man is responsible. Yeah, yeah. There's that. There's that. But I think the thing that's interesting, or one of the things that's always interesting to me, is you look at this and you think, well, big whoop, you know, what's, what's all the big deal about vows? But obviously the best place to go look at vows is uh, Matthew chapter 5. So let's go over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Hi, Nadine. Starting in verse 33. Oh, you want to talk about it first? Go oh, it's it. okay. So I think at least the way it reads in my Bible, kind of what I'm getting to about um, a woman in this situation, it, it it's almost as if she's saying things without thought. Yep. Because I keep hearing it say, um, what does it say, a, a rash utterance, oh, yep. I think. Yep. You know, so... Yep. Like she was saying, it's more about protecting for. Yep, that's a good point. She's not thinking. Yep. <laughs> Instead of just but, but, but if on she's the other something hand, worth, yeah. Yep, that's mm -hmm. not a typical. I mean, it's not just women that do that. Right. Men right. do that too. Right. Right. True. So the yeah. but it is a it's a kind of a, if anything, it's kind of a gift. Yeah. You know, to to yeah. basically say you can you can make some rash vow mm -hmm. and it can be taken back. Right. Whereas if some man does and that. And Yahweh will pardon her. Yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't get yeah. to go back. So the responsibility. I should have done a little him. homework and talk about a vow. Now, yeah. what what is a vow, essentially? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What were you going to say, Marvin? Covenant. That's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm confused. You said that if he doesn't void her vow and she breaks it he's responsible well he, if, may, he may be responsible for her getting punished but he doesn't take the punishment on himself where does it say that it it Where? says verse 15 it says if however he nullifies them sometime after he hears about them then he is responsible for her guilt if he nullifies what what by what nullify means is basically uh, don't pay attention to it, right? You you're, you nullify it by saying, oh well, that doesn't really count, you know. The, the scenario would be here. Well, she said that I didn't, and what what God's saying is you don't get to say that. You don't get to say she said that I didn't, because she was your wife and she said that, and you knew she said that. You had the opportunity to nullify it and you didn't do it, so it's as if you said that. I think it's pretty clear. Not to me. Not to you, huh? I'll, I'll read it again. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I tell you, well, I want to talk about vows for a minute. There's kind of two things. I wrote here that a, a vow is a promise to do something. Okay? Uh, and you sometimes you make a vow to God. 
You say to God, I will do something. Okay. Now, needless to say, vows you make to God, you should take pretty seriously. However, we're going to read here in a minute, vows you make to anybody, you should take pretty seriously. Um, um, sometimes you make a vow before God. And a vow before God, the best example, that's his marriage vow, right? So you're vowing before God, you're making this promise that you're going to, you make a promise to each other, but you're making it before God. And I guess the thing I wanted to talk about at least for a few minutes is how um, nobody even considers that these days, you know? Um, it's, it's got to do with, I think, it's got to do with one's viewpoint on truth, you know? on whether something is, is, whether you're lying or not. People tell lies all the time. And it's, it makes, it breaks down society. You know, if, okay, let's read this Matthew chapter 5 thing. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33, says, this is Yeshua talking. This is kind of the end of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And he's busy going through different things about, you know, what's sinning what's the sin, and all this kind of stuff. And he says, starting in verse 33, Again, you have heard that it was said that to people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to Yahweh. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. How many times have you heard people say, I swear to God? They just throw that out, you know? You shouldn't be doing that. And furthermore, you shouldn't swear you're going to do something if you don't, number one, intend to, and number two, have a pretty darn sure thing that you're going to be able to. You know, you, you need to be careful what you say. That's what I get out of that. I Okay. What if, what if you're in court and they say, do you swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth help you, God? And you say, yes, or... Yeah, you so better. You can, as long as you're not saying where I swear, or... No, no, you're, you're, that's an oath. That's an oath. That, that counts. Are, are you asking whether or not... You're but, making an oath when you do that? Yeah, but are you not supposed to swear? They're asking you if you swear yeah, to they tell are. the truth. Well, oh, no. It's, he's saying you shouldn't do this. Okay. Okay, now a court thing, typically, I mean, honestly and truly, that ought to be held before God. So, really, that ought to be one of the times that you can, you know, make an oath. And I tell you what, the legal system is based on the fact that you better be telling the truth because they can charge you. What's the, what's the term they charge you with if you lie? You got lying? Perjury. perjury. And perjury's got penalties. And they do it all the time. They do it themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yep, they do it all the time. Anyway, I, I think this, this thing about vows is just kind of interesting. What else do you want to talk about before we move on to what other things about the vows? The, the idea here that the, the, it's a, if it was a young girl living with her father and she made some vow, uh, and her father says, that was foolish. You know, that, that doesn't stand. He can do that. But he's got to do it right away. He can't come back and say, yeah, I knew she said that six months ago. Yeah, I never said anything. I knew she said that. Because if he doesn't say anything, then it stands. And she's committed to the vow she made. Marvin's got some stuff. Marvin's... 
Oh, oh, Charlie first. Uh, when I was when you were talking about that, hey, you were when he was reading the thirty. I was looking at number two, and it says that uh, when a man makes an, a vow to the Lord or takes oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, even in your everyday interactions with human beings, uh, if, you're telling, if you tell someone you're going to do it, you should do it. It's not just like, yeah, you should. I mean, I, I've, I know a lot of people that will tell you, yeah, 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 I'll do that. And you can, you can almost, I remember one time at work, I was watching some guy in a management position. He made this commitment to this classroom, yes, we will do that. And I knew, right, there was no way he was going to do that. And I thought to myself, man, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? Why would you promise a bunch of people, tell a bunch of people you're going to do something when you know full well you're not going to? <laughs> yeah. I'm still stuck on 15. Okay. And the reason I'm stuck on it, it says, but if he shall anyways make them void after that he had heard them. Now, to me, that means three weeks ago she made the vow and I heard it and I didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. Okay? So she's on the hook at that point. If I find out she broke it and I disavow her vow two weeks later, then I bear her iniquity. But if I never void it, I do not. I, I can't see how I would be responsible for her breaking it. She would have to bear the consequences. It's, it's not the... Um it's what the, the man's responsibility is to say, she, she's not, that vow is not standing. She's not committing, that commitment's not been made. It's as if it didn't happen. Okay, that's what he gets to do. He gets to nullify the oath. He gets to nullify the vow. If he doesn't say anything, then it's as if he said, yes, I agree with that. So read chapter, read, read verse 6. Well, that's, okay, I'm sorry. Are you in, in numbers? Yeah. Okay. If she marries after she makes a vow or after her lips utter a rash promise by which she obligates herself and her husband hears about it but says nothing to her, then her vow or pledges by which she obligated herself will stand. Right. So yeah. she's obligated. Yeah. But yeah. that's because he didn't say anything about it. Right. I understand. Okay. I understand. So I'm two weeks later and she breaks it. I don't see where the husband is responsible for it because he never disavowed it. He never voided it. Well, okay. Okay. The, no, I, I see what you're saying. The guilt is hers, but he shares it. I mean, the idea is, I think the idea is if it was a vow that was rash, it uses that word two or three times. If she makes some commitment that either she can't keep or something that's not wise, and you know, then he's responsible with her because he allowed her to do it. He allowed it to stand. Okay, he finds one thing. Okay, he say or um, say which promise to absolve us for responsibility, responsibility for any war that we may 
in the coming year when we make words we put into speech our deepest fears uh we put on the uh, on the speech our deepest fears say um most profound hopes like hannah who was to dedicate her son to the sanctuary in god's grant her a son and if uh, one samuel fears many of us make various com commitments to the certain things or giving up certain things that we cherish in order to bear danger or bring about a hope for future you know it's about the what we have a the desire to do it on but when we did we need a did it don't say later no i can thinking i changed my no, mind no, yeah, well it's no. definitely about that yep it's definitely about about not changing your mind you don't get to do that <laughs> You make the commitment, the commitment stands. In the Hebrew text, it says nothing about rash. It doesn't say anything that she just blindly made some vow. Okay, fine. You know, just to let you know. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it just says, I think what your thing is, is it's the man that breaks, the, the man that tells her to break the vow later on. I don't think it's because she broke the vow. Well, we don't and, know what vow we're talking about, really. Right? It just says a vow. Well, I mean, it says if he tells her later she has to break it, then it's on him. Well, it doesn't say that either. Oh, it doesn't say no. that? No, oh, okay. Verse 5 says that if he hear the day in which he hears it, he has mm -hmm. to do something about it. He can't do anything two weeks later. No. Whatever time he hears about it. Yeah. I, I think what this is, is this is to uh, keep him from uh, absolving himself of any responsibility. It, the thing is, is there's a relationship between the man and the woman in these cases, either a daughter or a wife. And, and the vow that she makes, she is, let me try this out. I'm not sure it's true. She is uh, inadvertently committing him as well. And if he doesn't say, no, I don't agree with this, then he has to stand with her in its commitment. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Makes more sense. I think I should have said it that way in the first place. What do you got tomorrow? Do you, do you, do you going to say that? Oh, yay. Got it right. I missed it. Well, okay. There's all of that, you know, like signing your name with invisible ink. But it's not her agreement by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. Yeah. So he can do that if he does it as soon as he hears about it. Yeah. yeah. Ward's got something. He'll probably set us all straight. So my understanding is an example is to be that the wife enters into a contract or an agreement that's not good. Mm -hmm. If the husband finds out, when the husband finds out about it, if he immediately has the authority to annul it, mm -hmm. to, to void the contract. Yep. Go say, this is void. I have the authority to do this. An example of that would be in the Garden of Eden when Eve had her interaction with the Nakash. It was essentially very similar to a marriage vow or a contract that she entered into with him, if Adam 
He had the authority to annul it. Yes. I and, bet he that, didn't, yep. and he didn't, and he do, didn't do it. it. No, as a matter of fact, he said, no, no, that's fine. Let us stand. So he committed all of yeah. mankind yeah. to be part of this. Well, I'll buy that one. I'll buy that one. <laughs> Let's move on before I get in more trouble. <laughs> um, chapter 31. Um, chapter 31 is kind of long. Let's, let's read the first 24 verses. We're back to action, though. This is, the numbers is interesting because it's got you know, commands, and then it's got action, and it's got commands, and then it's got action. So we've done the command. Let's, let's do some action. Who wants to read chapter 31 through verse 24? Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for Benai, Israel. Afterward, you will be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Mobilize some of your men for battle. They will go out against Midian to carry out Adonai's vengeance on Midian. Send into the battle 1,000 men from each of the tribes of Israel. So from the thousands of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe were assigned, 12,000 in all. Moses sent them into battle. 1,000 from each tribe. And with them, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the Kohan, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and trumpets for signaling. They fought Midian just as Adonai had commanded Moses and killed every male among the Slain, they also killed the Midianite kings. Evi, Rechem, Sur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with a sword. Benai Israel also captured women and sons of Midian, along with all their herds and flocks and plundered all their goods. They burned with fire all the Midianite cities, settlements, as well as all their camps. They seized all the plunder and all the spoil, both people and animals. They brought the captives, plunder, and spoils to Moses, Eleazar, the, the Kohen, and to the assembly of Benai Israel at the camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. Moses, Eleazar the king, Eleazar the Kohen, and all the princes of the community went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, those re returning from the campaign of the war. 
Moses said to them, You let all the women live? Why? They are the ones because of Balaam's advice who caused Benai Israel to be unfaithful to Adonai in the matter of Peor, so that the plague was on the community of Adonai. So now kill all the boys and kill every woman who has been intimate with a man, but save for yourselves every girl who has not been intimate with a man. Any of you who has killed anyone or touched the body of anyone who has been killed must stay outside the camp for seven days. You must purify yourselves on the third and seventh days. You and your captives also purify every item of clothing as well as every item made of leather or wood. Eleazar said to the men of the army who had gone to war, this is the right, the regulation of the Torah Adonai gave to Moses. The gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, lead, and anything able to pass through the through fire is to be put through the fire and all and will then be clean. It is also to be purified with the fire with the water of cleansing. Anything that cannot stand the fire is to be put through the water. You are to wash your clothes also on the seventh day. You will then be clean and may then come into the camp. Okay, thank you. So, let's go back and make sure we know what we read there. So, what was, go back to the beginning of the chapter, what was God's command to uh, Moses? What do you want the people to do? Take vengeance on the Midianites. Um, what did he tell him was going to happen to him after he did that? Moses, that is. then you'll be gathered to your people. He says, so this is the last thing you're going to do. You know, go take vengeance on the Midianites, then this is the last thing you're going to do. Now, it just so happens that after this last thing he's going to do, the whole book of Deuteronomy happens, but that's okay. Because like I say, Deuteronomy is just Moses talking, so it's not a big deal. Um, now, why do we want to take vengeance? Why did God want them to take vengeance on the Midianites? What did God have against the Midianites? The, yeah, the, uh, what they call it, the incident at Peor, right? What was the incident at Peor? You answer all the questions, Lisa. Okay, go ahead. The incident at Peor was what? The women, the Midianite women seduced the, mm -hmm. the men, and that, um, that caused God to be angry because, you know, they weren't supposed to mix. Yeah, well, it caused the plague. Yeah, caused about. the plague. Caused yeah. the plague that he talked about. Yep. 
Wait, wait. If you're going to speak a lot, then you need a microphone. <laughs> because they lose uh, the 20,000, say, around 20,000 uh, people, mostly young, childs, uh, girls, boys, and everything. And they, when they got the virgin, it's because they need to replace the people. They kill uh, boys and they kill women. They have a sex and they got the pure girls because, you know, they need to continue the, okay. the try growing up. Okay. So, um, so when Moses got this instruction, what do you do? Generated an army, right? He called up an army. How many people were in the army? How many men? 12,000. How did these men, how, how were they assigned? Where did they come from? 1,000 from each tribe. I'm just asking you, you know, this is what you read. Sometimes, I know this sounds kind of stupid, but sometimes you don't really even know what you read. Yeah, yeah. So there's 12,000 men, 1,000 from each tribe. Who else went? It says, says uh, 1,000 from each man. Eleazar the priest, who took with him, okay, it wasn't Eleazar that went. Who was it? Phinehas. Phinehas was the son of Eleazar. Eleazar was the son of Aaron, right? Remember what, what do we know Phinehas from? What, what, yep, that's the one. Phinehas was the guy that stabbed two with one, right? He got the two with one, the, yeah. <laughs> He got the, uh, what is they call? I don't spear. know. The spear. The spear traspassed both at the same time. Yep. And at the moment, the plague killed the people stopped. Yep. And God promised him because his action, uh, give you recompense for all his generations. Yep. Yep. God said you'll be a, a priest to me forever. Yep. Your family. That's good. That's very good. Um, okay. So anyway, the Israelites were on a mission from God, literally, to go do this. And how did they do? Yeah, they did very well, actually, right? They did. They were very victorious. They killed all the men, and they brought all the, the women and children and animals back, right? And then what does it say about how did Moses view that? He said, what you do that for? Like they were supposed to know. <laughs> Well, evidently they did. Certainly the implication is. Um, verse 15. Why have you allowed all the women to live? He asked them. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from Yahweh in what happened at Peor, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. Now kill all the boys, kill every woman who has slept with a man, but save for yourselves every girl who has never slept with a man. So, Number one, this ties it back to Balaam, right? And Balaam was hired by, if you remember, just to reiterate, Balaam was hired by Balak to curse the nation of Israel. And all he could do was bless them. That's one of the best stories where, <laughs> where you know, and Balaam said, look, I, I can only say what God tells me to say. And so he says it, and Balak's just over there, smoke coming out of his ears and stuff, you know. But anyway, at the end, it doesn't really say per se, but we're seeing it here. Balaam says to Balak, look, I can't curse them but I can show you how to get them to curse themselves. You know, get some of your uh, temple prostitutes to go over and seduce them, and God will have to punish them. And that's exactly what happened. And that's what he's talking about here. 
So, and that's the reason God wanted to take his vengeance on the Midianites, right? So, who of the people didn't die? Who of the Midianite people didn't get killed? The girls that had never been slept with a man, right? And um, we'll talk a minute about what happens with this. Now then, what do you say about all the, the people that were in the battle? What'd they have to do? Yep, they had to stay outside the camp. They had to purify themselves. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, they went through it here, and they talked about um, all of you who have killed someone or touched anyone who was killed must stay outside the camp. On the third and seventh day, you must purify yourself and your captives, purify every garment. Have we read that before? Where was that? Yeah, it's whenever someone comes in contact with a dead body. And then what it, it, it talked in here also about the water of purification. What, what is this water of purification? Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. The ashes of the red heifer were mist, mixed with the water. So I guess the point is, is you read that, that the first time you read that, or maybe the, in my case, the second, third, or fourth time you read that, you think, oh, yet here's another one of these things. This is not another one of these things. This is the thing that was defined before. This is just uh, when they did it. This is what you did. This was God's rule for purification after coming in contact with a dead body. That's, that's what it was. And he's just reiterating here, here's how, you, here's how you purify yourself and the items that have come in contact with a dead body. Oh, see, that's not so hard now, is it? Right? Any other questions about that part? Let's see if I skipped anything here. Goats hair? Well, what, the, what he said was, is it was... Uh, Anything made of leather, goat's hair, or wood, you have to purify it. Purify it. Because the idea, it, it's one of these things that it's not like, it's not like germs. It's the thing is, is, the article was either, well, it was in contact with someone that had died. That, that's really it. God has this thing about not having death close to him, if you will. I don't guess there any other thoughts about from you have from your end there. Okay, let's go on and read about uh, the next part of the chapter. My little subdivision says dividing the spoils. Someone want to read about dividing the spoils? That's from verse 25 to the end of the chapter. Alfonso. <laughs> Who can turn him down? And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe saying, Count up the plunder that was taken of a man and of beasts. You and Eleazar, the Kohen, and the heads of the fathers of the congregation, and you shall divide the plunder into two parts, between those who took part in the battle, who went out on the campaign, and all the congregation, and put aside a levy for Yahweh on the men of battle who went out on the campaign, one of every 500 of man, and of the cattle, and of the donkeys, and of the sheep. Take it from their half, and give it to Eleazar, the Kohen, as a contribution to Yahweh. And from the children of Israel's half, you shall take one of every 50 of man, of the cattle, of the donkeys, and of the sheep, of all the livestock, and give them to the Levites, guarding the duty of the Mishkan of Yahweh. And Moshe and Eleazar the Kohen did as Yahweh commanded Moshe. And the booty remaining from the plunder which the people of the campaign had taken was 675,000 sheep and 72,000 cattle and 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 human beings in all, 
of women who had not known a man by lying with a man. And the half, the portion who went out on the campaign was in number 337,500 sheep, and the levy unto Yahuwah of the sheep was 675, and the cattle were 36,000, which the levy unto Yahuwah was 72, and the donkeys were 30,500, of which the levy unto Yahuwah was 61, and the human beings were 16,000, of which the levy unto Yahuwah was 32 beings. So Moshe gave the levy, which was the contribution unto Yahuwah, to Eleazar the Kohen, and as Yahuwah commanded Moshe. And from the children of Yisrael's half, which Moshe divided from the men who campaigned, now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep and 36,000 cattle and 30,500 donkeys and 16,000 human beings. Then Moshe took from the children of Yisrael's half one out of every 50 drawn from man and beast and gave them to the Levites who guarded the duty of Bishkan of Yahuwah as Yahuwah commanded Moshe. And the officers who were over thousands of the campaign, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds came near to Moshe. And they said to Moshe, your servants have taken account of the fighting men under our command and not a man of us is missing. So we have brought an offering for Yahuwah what every man found of ornaments of gold armlets and bracelets and signet rings and earrings and necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before Yahuwah. And Moshe and Eleazar the Kohan received the gold from them and all the fashion ornaments and all the gold of the offering that they presented to Yahuwah from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds were 16,750 shekels. The men of the campaign had taken spoil, every man for himself, and Moshe and Eleazar the Kohan received the gold from the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tent of appointment as remembrance for the children of Yisrael before Yahuwah. Good. Thank you. Yeah, again, this is exactly the kind of passage that belongs in the book of Numbers, right? <laughs> so I, I think this is kind of interesting because you have to kind of read it pretty carefully to figure out what's going on. So of all the stuff they brought back, all the people, all the, the women at this point, the girls, and all the animals and the sheep and the cattle and all that kind of stuff, what's the first thing they did with it? They divided it into two parts, right? One part went to who? No, no, no. They divided it, says, let me read it to you. It says, Verse 27, divide the spoils between the soldiers who took part in the battle and the rest of the community. So they divided it in half, and they said, all you guys in the army, this is your half. All you regular old citizens, this is your half. Okay, that's the first thing they did. Then it goes on, it says, from the soldiers who fought in the battle, in other words, from the soldiers' half over here, uh, set apart as a tribute to Yahweh, one out of every 500, whether persons or whatever, right? So the soldiers half, they take one out of every 500, and it's a tribute to God. So who do they give it to? Eleazar, the priest, right? Okay, then it goes on. Um, take this tribute from their half share and give it to Eleazar, the priest, as Yahweh's part. From the Israelites half, okay? From the half that belongs to the rest of the community, says... Um, select one out of every 50, whether persons, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, other animals, and give them to who? The Levites. 
Now, you see, the Levites are different than the priests, right? Now, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. So the Levites are the poor guys that have to carry around the, the tabernacle stuff. Also, actually, as, as Israel began to function as a nation, the Levites were God's representatives outside of Jerusalem, right? They were, they were the ones that uh, held the, uh, what would you might call it, the circuit courts or whatever. They, they dealt with uh, managing the government outside of Jerusalem. The Levites, there were many more Levites than there were priests, okay? Yeah. Some bring the water, some bring the, the good yeah, for yeah. fire. Yep, yep, yep. It's a lot of people have a different, like here, so he's the camera, you the teacher, someone mm -hmm. clean the room, you, you know, it's yeah. a big so, congregation and one thing only. Yeah. I think it's kind of important to, to, when you can to keep in mind that a lot of times the phrases they use are the priest and the Levites. And that's fine. You should think of them as two different things. Now, like I say, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Yeah, but they all need to be consecrated for yep, yep. the Lord because yep. if no one's getting yep. inside, oh, it's like, I, you give me the, the, the chart here to clean it, and later say, no, I want to cook it. You say, no, because no, someone no. is for No, that. no, that's right. You get none of that, but it's for life. <laughs> the, the, and the reason for that, of course, is that the Levites, they don't get the land inheritance, right? So the, this, is, this is what the Levites' job is. So it's kind of appropriate that they would get this. What are... What would, in either case, the question comes up, what would the priests do or what would the Levites do with these young girls who had never slept with a man? <laughs> in the Levites' case, that's probably true. It's, it's probably true. It's not true in the priest's case, but in any case, in probably both cases, um, they were, you know, they, uh, housework, right? Housework, take care, feed the, feed the animals, clean the floors, do the wash. Stuff like that. They weren't, uh, in some cases, they were perhaps um, elevated to members of the family kind of status. We have indications that that happened to quite a few people in Israel. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be able to prove that you've got Hebrew blood to be joined to the covenant, thank goodness, right? But, uh, but on the other hand, that's where they would have started. King and Marian oh, have a the, the, uh, good position because she's who take care of the Moses when they drop it in the river. She who take care of them in the palace. Mm -hmm. And later she's the helper with him. Mm -hmm. and you know, this family we choose for, 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 the, for the God because mm -hmm. the position, the obeying, the mother, the father mm -hmm. well, coming. Yep. I tell you the and they, uh, and Moses says it's a prince in the Pharaoh's house, mm -hmm. and later he the queen, the king in Israel, and mm -hmm. his brother he's the priest, and her sister she's a prophet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think they got a position like a king and princess um, and, and princess. You know, okay. they got a good position because the Lord told to direct to them, and okay. they say to the the rest of the people. The best example of somebody like this, if you ask me, is Joseph, right? Because when Joseph became a priest in Potiphar's household, he's right on the bottom, right? And Joseph, I mean, obviously not without the help of God, but Joseph rose to the ranks and became uh, Potiphar's 
RHM, as we say, right-hand man, right? He even became Pharaoh's right-hand man. Pretty good for a slave. So I guess my point is, is that, you know, if these are individuals, God still knows the individuals. And if these individuals were uh, diligent and had, you know, hearts for him, they'd be rewarded. And, and anyway, it goes on and it says, um, so after we got all that stuff divided, in verse 48, it says, the officers who were over the units of the army, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, went to Moses and said, your servants have counted the soldiers under our command. Not one is missing. Pretty good results, right? Almost makes you wonder. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have brought as an offering to Yahweh the gold articles each of us acquired, armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves before Yahweh. So they, because they were the commanders, ended up with a lot of the, the good stuff, if you will, right? The, the gold and, and silver and things like that. And they wanted to make a, a gift of those items to God, right? Um, so two questions here. It says to make atonement. What do you think about that? What, uh, what do you suppose? I mean, you know, we kind of know what atonement is. Um, I just want to know what you think about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I know this. the Jews say that there's all kinds of ways to make atonement for yourself. So in a way, they're giving thanks to God, mm -hmm. you know, to, for protecting them. You know, they're making atonement, but they're also um, thanking him. That's yeah, how yeah, I that's, see it. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I think uh, that's a very good point. It's kind of a, a mixture of the two. It's, it's a thank offering. It's also an, an atonement offering is offering for sins you've committed, perhaps inadvertent, right? Perhaps they're, uh, when, when you're out in a war killing people, the, the opportunities for you to sin are pretty great. <laughs> may have, it, it may have been an atonement for not killing the women in the, yep. in, in the little boys. Yep, the atonement that caused Moses to say, to be angry. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I bet you forgot it by now. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> um, well, yeah, because... Um, yeah, you forgot it? Yeah, I forgot it. Okay. <laughs> Just forget it. <laughs> that's yeah, okay, Lisa, you can get the one next to one. know when. <laughs> Okay, so this money that the commanders of thousands and hundreds wanted to give to, to God, who'd they give it to? The priests, right? The priests are God's representative to the people, so that's exactly who you'd give it to. And what does it say the priests did with it? Very last verse there says, and they, it says, Moses and Eleazar the priest accepted the gold from the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and brought it into the tent of meeting as a memorial for the Israelites for Yahweh. So, you remember we've read other places like, uh, let's see, the place where, I think it was Korah's rebellion, and all these guys that were with Korah were to meet in front of the tent of meeting and with censers, and God zapped them all, and they all died. And so they had these censers, and God told somebody, I think, or Moses told someone, to go collect all the censers, and they melted it all down, and they used the metal to cover the, the uh, altar, the, the altar of burnt offerings. 
as a memorial. So something like that was done with this. You know, something, something like that was done. And, and you could point to it then and say, see all that? See that pretty gold thing over there? That's made out of the, uh, the treasure of the Midianites that God took vengeance on, for example. Yeah, you got a question? Uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble now. Oh, no, I was just uh, listening to what Marvin said. He said that the people carrying the tabernacle probably wasn't too happy about that because they have more <laughs> weight to carry. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, darn thing's going to be heavier now. <laughs> okay. You want to go on? Verse 32. Our chapter 32 is kind of fun. Yes, you remembered. No, what? Oh, yes, you may read. Let's see, let's read, uh, um, well, I don't want to read the whole thing because that's kind of long. Let's read through verse 27. Okay. The children of Reuven and the children of God had abundant livestock, very great. They saw the land of Yazer and the land of Gilead. And behold, the, pla the place was a place for livestock. The children of God and the children of Reuven came and said to Moshe and to Eleazar, the Kohen, and the leaders of the assembly, saying, Adarot and Divon and Yazer and, the, and Nimrah and Heshbon and Eli, Elial, Eliale. Um, and Sebon, Sebam, Nebo, Nebo, Beon, and the, the land that Hashem smote before the assembly of Israel. It is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. They said, we have found, if we have found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as a heritage, and do not bring us across the Jordan. Moses said to the children of God and the children of Reuven, Shall your brothers go out to battle while you settle here? Why do you dissuade the heart of the children of Israel from crossing the land that Yehovah has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land of to see the land. They went up to the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, and they dissuaded the heart of the children of Israel and not, not to come to the land that Yehovah has given them. The wrath of Yehovah burned on that day. He swore, saying, If these men came from Mitzrah from the age of 20 years and above, you shall will see the ground that I swore to Avraham, to Yitzhak, and Yaakov, for they have not followed me fully, except... For Kalev, the son of Yefuna, and the Kenizzite, the Kenizzite, and Yehoshua, son of Nun, for they followed Yehovah fully. The wrath of Yehovah burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years, until the end of the entire generation that did evil in the eyes of Yehovah. Behold, you have risen in the place of your fathers, a society of sinful people, to add 
more to the burning wrath of Yahweh against Israel. For you, for if you turn away from after him, he will again let it rest in the he will again let it rest in the wilderness, and you will destroy this entire people. They approached him and said, Pens for the flock shall we build here for our livestock, and cities for our small children. We shall arm ourselves swiftly in the vanguard of the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our small children will dwell in the fortified cities before the inhabitants of the land. And they shall not return to our homes until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For, for we shall not inherit with them across the Jordan and beyond. Okay. For, Let's for, well, let me finish the yeah, sentence, yeah. if that's okay. Of course. For our inheritance has come to us on the east of the come to us on the east bank of the Jordan. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. I, I just wanted to stop a little early because this is a good place to stop in terms no, it's of the okay. action. Um, uh, let's get the gist of what we're talking about, right? So two tribes have come to Moses, and what did they basically say? They, they said, we kind of like it here. We're not sure we want to go ahead and this is good enough for us. We think we want to stop. I wanted to show you where they are here. This is, uh, this is, there's the Sea of Galilee, and that's the Dead Sea. This is Moab. Up in here are the plains of Moab. Um, I'm sorry, right in here are the plains of Moab. So they're, they're basically camped out here. They can look across, and they can see Jericho's right over there. So the idea is, is from here, they're going to march down, cross the Jordan River, which is right there, and take over this land. And this is the land that God promised them, okay? Now, they're sitting here. And so the Gadites and the Reubenites say, you know, this is Gilead up here, and this is Bashan. And, and they say, you know, this is pretty good stuff up here. I think it would be great if we could just stay here. We'll, you know, put our sheep and cattle here, and we'll just live here. That's, that's what the proposal is, all right? I got a better map, I think. I blew it up a little bit so we could see better. There's the plains of Moab. It's right a, this, this, I like this map because it's kind of a relief map. It shows the mountains here. Uh, Jerusalem is just kind of behind that little mountain range. And this thing here is white. It's because it's below sea level. That's 1,200 feet below sea level. But yet this is up high. Mount Nebo is 2,600 feet. Um, and there's Amman. And so anyway, they're, they're here. And there's Gilead up here. So this is the land. And this is really pretty decent land up there. It's kind of, it's, uh, it's better than the land that's near Holbrook. Okay, you know, because uh, it's, it's, it's got a few trees and stuff on it. It's not great, but it's okay. It's certainly a good place to raise cattle. So anyway, um, so what do they do? They come and they say um, that these, these cities, and they name off the cities, the land is subdued. Okay, that, that they took it. They just got through beating the Midianites, and so it's open, if you will. Um, if we found favor in your eyes... Let us let the land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Now, what's Moses' reaction? Just, just a second. Give this courage or sad because they don't want to cross the land because they don't want to go the war. Mm -hmm. They want to establish the, mm -hmm. there because they don't want to help in the war on the other side. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's... Um, what did, he gets he's a little more than sad. He's mad. 
Maybe, you know, I, th- I think he's kind of angry. Let's see what it says. He says, my version, I know your version is different, Lisa, and of course yours is always right, but mine says, Moses said to the Gadites and the Reubenites, shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from going over to the land that Yahweh has given them? That's verse 6 and 7. Anyway, what? Go ahead, Marvin. Yeah. Okay. You know, they made the presentation to him, and in the presentation, they didn't say anything about not fighting. They no, were no. saying, "Hey, we would we would like to have this land." Yeah. And then he jumps on their case about, "Hey, we've been through this before." Yep. And they were very quick to say, "That's not a problem. We'll go with you, yep. and we won't come back yeah. until yeah. we've conquered the rest of it. Then yeah. we'll come back." But that's we would exactly like this. right. I think that's a good analysis. And as a matter of fact, to me, that's what I was essentially going to point out, is Moses has kind of uh, got his feelings out in front here. You know, he says, hey, dudes, I've been here before, you know, and let me tell you what happened last time. It was terrible. That's why we wandered around the desert for 40 years. That's why you guys are the kids of the people that I was supposed to take in there, you know. And in, in essence, he's going to say, you'll find out in Deuteronomy, that's half the reason I didn't get to go in. So, you know, I don't like this idea. You guys are... You're welching on the deal. You're not doing what you said you do. Now, how true is that? I mean, how true is Moses' complaint? Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, uh, there's debate about exactly the land that God promised Abraham, but they certainly knew that crossing the Jordan was what you had to do to get to the land. So them not wanting to cross to Jordan is pretty much an admission that they, they knew that this was not exactly God's plan. I think it's really interesting that God accommodated them anyway. You know? and, and you're right. Once, once Moses got over being all weird and having his, his big uh, you know, irate attack about the whole thing, they said, no, wait a minute. We didn't say we wouldn't go over there and help him take it. You know, we'll, we'll go do that. We'll just leave our women or cattle here, and we'll go, we'll go help you until you guys are happy, then we'll come home. That's, we haven't read that yet, but that's what they said. Yeah. One thing he does do, though, is he divides Moshe, Menashe, and, and the reason he divided Menashe was to make sure that there was... We're not there yet, Lisa. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> We haven't even talked about Menashe yet. Well, you were saying about protecting him, you know. Okay. <laughs> making sure he, make, giving him a little insurance. <laughs> okay. Jerry, I have a question for you sure. real quick. We're looking at your map, and to me, that's a very small part of the land that was promised to Abraham. Mm. Am I correct? Well, um, that's an interesting question. The um, this is a blow up. I happen to have one no, more map. No, I understand map. that, but it's yeah. not a very. That's not very much land. The the land that the Reubenites. Right there, right there that we're looking at. No, on no, screen. it's not. It's not. And this, I thought I it goes thought, quite a bit farther this way, quite a bit farther that right. way. And then, but my yeah, but my yeah. point is, even if you had the whole map of that, what didn't Abraham get? wasn't it Wasn't the deal originally that it was a a mammoth piece of land? Oh, yeah, I, I can say it's not a foregone conclusion 
that it only included the stuff to the west of the Jordan. Right. So I, I wouldn't argue that point strongly. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know how far it goes, but I thought it was a yeah. very large well, part of the Middle East. Let me East. show you this. This map here is real poor because the contrast is so bad. But it shows, oops, if you were, if you could see the colors right, it shows that the land that, the land that um, uh, Reuben and Gad and, as Lisa says, half the tribe of Manasseh got, was quite a bit up here, but it was all on the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, but yet, yeah, you're right. All of this stuff down here was what the the other nine and a half tribes got. So yeah, and we'll we'll talk more about that, of course, as we move along. It could be, it is. It could be everything. Um, I have. Yeah, well, that's a pretty good size. Yeah, no, it's bigger than that map. It's you know, I know that the land that promised land is not a little piece. Because when God promised to Abraham, he walking around a lot of portion. On every place he go, he make an altar. He said he make an altar. I understand now all the South Arabia um and around, it's a big place for Israel heritage. Well, it's, I, it's I don't doubt little that. Piece. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't argue that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So let's see. Um, verse 20. You can continue reading if you want to. After you get the microphone. <laughs> Moshe said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before Yehovah for the battle, and every armed man among you shall cross the Jordan before, before Yehovah until he drives out his enemies before him, and the land shall be conquered before, before Yehovah, then you shall return, then you shall return, then you shall be vindicated from Yehovah and from Israel, and this land shall be a heritage for you before Yehovah. If you do not do so, behold, you will have sinned to Yehovah. Know your sin that it will encounter you. Build up for yourselves cities for your small children and pens for your flock. And what has come from your mouth shall you do. The children of God and the children of Reuben said to Moshe, saying, your, your servant shall do as my Lord commands. Our small children, our wives, our flocks, and all our animals will be there in the cities of Gilead, and your servants shall cross over every armed person of the legion before Yehovah to do battle as my Lord speaks. You can go on. Concerning them, Moses commanded Eleazar the Kohen, Yehoshua son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, Moshe said to them, If the children of God, if the children of Rehavain shall cross the Jordan with you, everyone armed for battle before Yehovah, and the land is conquered before you, you shall give them the land of Gilead as, a her as an heritage. But if you do not cross over armed with you, then they will take their heritage among them in the land of Canaan. The children of God and the children of Rehavain spoke up, saying, As Yehovah has spoken to your servants, so shall we do. We shall cross over armed before Yehovah in the land of Canaan. 
and ours shall be the heritage of our inheritance across the Jordan. So Moshe gave to them, to the children of God, to the children of Reuven, and half the tribe of Manasseh, son of Yosef, the kingdom of Sihon, Sihon, king of the Amorite, and the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, and the land with its cities and boundaries, and the cities of the surrounding land. The children of God built Devon and Atrot, Atarot and Aurora, and Atrot, Shofan, and Yazer, and Yogbeha, Yogbeha, and um, Beit, Beit Nimra, Beit Haran, fortified cities, pens for the flock. The children of Ruvain built Heshbon and Eliala, Eliale and Kiryatayim and Nebo and Baal Meon with altered names and Sibma and they called them by other names instead of the names of the cities they built. The children of Machir, son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and captured it and drove out the Amorite who were in it. Moshe gave the Gilead to Machir, son of Manasseh, and he settled in it. Yair, son of Manasseh, went and captured their villages and called them Havot Yair. Nobah went and captured Kenot and her suburbs and called it Nobah after his name. Okay, so that tells how the whole thing turned out. It says, I, I, I saw another place that went for my, uh, in support of my argument that Moses was upset. Uh, he called them a, uh, a brood of sinners in verse 14. Now, you didn't say that in yours, but mine calls them a brood of sinners. So Moses, was, he wasn't happy with this. But anyway, once they allowed, or he allowed them to say, no, 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 that's not what we meant. That's not what we meant. We meant that uh, we would go over with them and help them conquer the land, and then we'll come back. So Moses says, okay, if you'll do that, fine. I'm with you. You could do this. Now, all of this happened with Reuben and Gad, with the uh, tribes of Reuben and Gad. But then as we we're moseying along down there, and, and everybody seems to be okay with it, um, says in verse 33, Then Moses gave to the Gadites, the Reubenites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Now, one of the things that's always confused me is my Bible right here says the half-tribe of Manasseh. It's not the half-tribe. It's half the tribe. And it goes on and it talks about the Machirites. Manasseh had two sons. Machir was one of them, and I can't remember who the other one was. So, Manasseh ends up with territory on both sides of the Jordan River. This is just half of Manasseh that ends up with the stuff over here. And he ended up with Gilead, which was up in here. And that's pretty nice land up there, really. That's, that's kind of good. Some of, these, some of the names that you read down there, like uh, Jazir and uh, some of them, they're still up there. They're, they're, you can go find those places. So that's kind of cool. Anyway, so the, if somebody asks you, so what three tribes um, didn't cross the Jordan? 
The answer is Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. I, had, I keep talking about, you know, uh, in a while, well, a long while, we're going to go see where Moses died. Moses dies right here at Mount Nebo, right, right above where all the Israelites are currently camped out. This is where they're camped out right now. And basically the rest of the Torah, they don't move. They're, they're here, okay? Uh, but I, I had a picture of that. This is, this is a rather artistic sculpture. It's kind of modern, needless to say. But it's, uh, this is Mount Nebo. And can, you can kind of see what we're looking at over here. That's, that's a good, oh, I don't know, 100 miles at least. And it's, again, it's a little hazy, but if you could see just a little bit better, you could see the Mediterranean over there. And uh, down below here is the Dead Sea, and Jericho is right over, somewhere over in here. But it was a, kind of a fun place to be on Mount Nebo. Now, it's not like they're saying, here's where Moses was buried, because as we know from the book of Jude, nobody really knows where Moses was buried. But it's Mount Nebo, so there's lots of places it could have been. I beg your pardon? No, no, I'm not asking any question. I was just pointing this out. I thought it was a kind of nice picture, and I found it, so I thought I'd show it to you guys. Are there any questions about what we just read with the Transjordan tribes? That's what we call those guys, the Transjordan tribes. How long did it take them to conquer the other side of the Jordan so they could live there? Um, the book of Joshua covers a period of, oh, I, I'm, I'm just going to guess, but not more than about 20 or 30 years. Now, well, yeah, but they weren't at war the entire time. They would, uh, you know, they, they'd, they'd stay for a while and kind of get their plan together and figure out what they were going to do and get in trouble, and then, then they'd go do some more, you know, so it wasn't like a continuous period. But it was it was it was a fair while, and then they they did a lot of messing around too because um, it's uh, I remember as Ralphie and I were doing a study on this one time and as we were going through it there was a kind of a tricky little place where the uh, one of the tribes I forget which one it is Dan the tribe of Dan um, when you start reading it the the land that they got was over right in the middle on the Mediterranean coast but somehow or another they ended up trading it with another tribe for the stuff that was way up north near Syria. And you kind of got to read all that because it's, uh, it was, the book of Joshua is a very interesting book. It's really pretty cool. And again, you can find three quarters of those places because they're all in Israel, you know. Mm -hmm, sure. Any other thoughts about any of this? This is, like I say, this puts us, that was great. We did a whole portion. This is the way it's supposed to be done, you know. We did uh, portion number 42 tonight because now we're at the end of it. The next portion is portion 43. It's called Masai, which stands for stages. It's the one I call the triptych. It's where uh, uh, it talks about every single place they stopped after they left Egypt. They stopped here, then they stopped here, then they stopped here. It takes up like three-quarters of the chapter where all they stopped. And that's kind of fun. Um, and we'll do that next week. And then we'll start Deuteronomy. Yeah. So, any other thoughts? Any other?
Is everybody happy? <laughs> yeah, well, let's see. We got 33, 34, 35, and 36. Mm-hmm. But they're kind of short. Okay, l- let me close in prayer. Well, Father God, thank you for the night. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Torah. Thank you for those things that it makes us think about. Thank you for preserving it so that we could look at it here 3,500 years after it was written. Um, just, you're so awesome, God, and I just thank you for loving us. Help us to uh, go through the week and think of you often, think of how you'd like us to behave ourselves, and help us to focus on you so that in these times we can be prepared for what you want us to do. Keep us safe. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you.